I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to They Talk A Good Game Season 2. My name is Harvey. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Lockie. Hello. Oh, wow, lovely. That's wow. You were never this nice in Season 1. No, no. How... Things have changed over the summer. We're back bigger than ever, looking forward to the year ahead, and footy is not that far away. No. Are you excited no. to see them back out there? Absolutely. I'm very excited to see footy back. It's 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 quite a weird feeling at the start of every year because because there's so much other sport that goes on throughout the break and you start getting really into some other stuff and you, for, you almost forget that you've got this whole great season of footy to look forward to. That's right. Yeah, certainly some highlights over the summer of sport, across the tennis, the cricket. That's right. Football's been happening. It's been very, very busy. That's and, right. Yeah, it's been a helpful distraction away from missing the footy, not having the regular Thursday through Sunday footy matches on. Mm. But there's been plenty of entertainment on the sporting pitches to, yeah, keep us entertained. That's right. And that's kind of the reason for this podcast is... Because you know, you know, we do. We are mainly a rugby league podcast, but we are fans of all sports, and and I think we thought we'd give ourselves just this one episode to really be able to, you know, ever so briefly, touch on on all the other great sports that do exist in the world, and all the great stuff that was happening over summer while we were taking our our break from podcasting in, in the off season. Yeah, the off season. For sure. Exactly. Um, I'm just going to hit us up with a highlight from the start. Dylan Alcott being awarded yeah. Australian of the Year. Yeah, well, I mean, I know he's a tennis player, but he's a philanthropist and he's done so much work outside of the game, outside of sport, that this recognition is just so fully deserved. And yeah. Look, mate, congratulations if he's listening. If he's listening, I'm sure, yeah. You know, we, you know, we were building ever so slowly over season one. I'm sure by now, Dylan Alcott's a regular listener. That's it. We'll have to get him on as a guest. We'll have to. Oh, too easy, mate. Um, <laughs> just hit up his management. Should be easy. Um, you know, to get the Australian of the Year on our podcast. I'm sure he hasn't got much on at the moment. You know, yeah. I think he's such road. a he's such a role model, but not just to people with disabilities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I watch Dylan Orcott, and I'm so inspired by just the way that he lives his life. Um, like all all the whole Australian Open tournament in interviews, he he would say. Pretty much after every match, he'd say, you know, I, I'm very happy I won, but whether I win this tournament or not doesn't isn't going to have a massive impact on my life. I have the best life in the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, for, for a guy who who really doesn't have use of his legs to be saying that and say that he's the luckiest guy in the world, the outlook that he has on life is just so inspiring and the fact that yeah, he's able he to... He puts re- things in perspective. And yeah. He's, he's just such a gentleman, like... That's it. It, the, the thing that he's done it, to get to the point in your career where winning genuinely doesn't matter to you, <laughs> but your the, the influence that he's had over the years of building um, the the reputation and and the growth behind sports for people of mixed abilities yeah. is just outstanding. Like they, there's so few words that you can put to what he's done that will do it justice um, for I'm sure thousands and thousands of young people and old people anybody who can relate to his story um just yeah it's it's amazing so certainly a highlight for me yeah definitely um you know uh, and that was kind of a a a part of what was a really great australian open i think if we're gonna segue into that um you know for one it was the first australian uh, singles player, men or women, to win an Australian Open since 1978. It was uh, that was the last time that a man won it. But 1976, I believe, uh, for the women's, um, Chris O'Neill, I think that's off the top of my head, the last player to win. In fact, I'm going to quickly do a bit of googling because I don't think we did. I don't think we did enough live googling last year. We just sort of, no, and that's so, that's something we want to really. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a skill we're going to hone in on throughout season two. Um, but you're yeah. obviously referring to Ash Barty's amazing performance That's throughout right. the, the whole Aussie Open. I mean, she has burst onto the scene. I mean, I know she's oh, like, had her fair share of experiences in and out of the tennis world and um, she's left it behind before. But to come back in, in such style and to be so dominant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to fact check myself. It was 1978, not not 76, that Chris O'Neill won, being the last Australian women's singles player to win. Oh, well, congratulations to go. Chris O'Neill and to Ash Barty. Congratulations, yeah, mainly to Ash Barty because we are living in the present, I suppose, and I'm sure Chris O'Neill got, got a bunch of congratulations in 1978. <laughs> not, not taken away from her achievement, but this is really, you know, we're focusing on, on the lovely, phenomenal champion, Ash Barty, who just has such an excellent temperament for the sport. You know, you never see her, you know, a lot of tennis players can really, you know, they tend to throw a few tantrums and I've never seen Ash even, you know, dent a racket. Um, she's, <laughs> you know, and we talk about role models, you know, she's definitely someone that, you know, you want, you want not, you know, girls growing up, but everyone growing up, if they're playing tennis or not, to be looking at as a, a role model for how to carry yourself and how to, you know, how to, how to be a champion, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean... On and off the court. That, yeah, that winning mentality and the, the competitive edge that you need to survive and thrive in elite-level sport. But yeah. she's got that composure and softness and calmness that actually enables you to execute at that level. As you were saying, there's so many players, you know, in tennis and other sports as well that get frustrated with themselves, throw tantrums yeah. and end up losing to themselves in a way rather than the person that they're facing. Um, yeah. You just get the sense that would never happen with Ash. She's just always going to be in control of her game and she's going to have to come up against somebody pretty exceptional to beat her, you know, ever. Um, yeah. He's never going to beat herself up. So, yeah, fair play to her, well-deserved, and hopefully this is, you know, the start of many more Australian Open victories for us. Yeah, that's it. Um, going... A different sort of way. I think mm-hmm. guys that inspired a lot of people in a very, very different sort of reason and brought a lot of non-tennis fans to the sport this year were... Well, some entertainment. Some entertainment to the sport. Um, well, not, not that tennis isn't entertaining, but brought a real different atmosphere to tennis games is Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis, who other, you know, we've, it's unbelievable to have another Australian... Another set of Australian champions in the men's doubles. It's Yeah, I mean, and... and- not just them, but up against Ebden and Purcell. Yeah. You know, an all-Aussie final. All-Aussie final. It's unbelievable. It's just um, a remarkable spectacle. I mean, yeah. the special Ks were, weren't they always going to win it? They just had that feeling from a pretty early on when they put in some of those elite performances. I think they knocked yeah. out the first seed in, I don't know, round four or something. Yeah, no, um, no doubt that they have the talent and they all had the talent to do it. It's just the thing that always lets those guys down in their singles is maybe trying too hard to be those showmans and mm. trying, but I, there was something about doubles where that showmanship really worked like towards getting winning results. I think so. I think because it enables a bit more risk taking because you've got the, the support of whoever's covering the other half of the court or whatever. So you feel like you're protected in some way to take those winning shots on. Yeah. But equally when you hit them, you've got somebody next to you pumping you up. Yeah. building your confidence and they just thrived off each other didn't they they just they did they were incredible um yeah, yeah and they it's going to be a really interesting question as to whether they you know pair up again moving forward and whether they can do it at another grand slam outside yeah. of australia yeah uh, they're, they're um they're definitely like i think you know all of the australian public and maybe around the world i really want to see them continue to pair up together in doubles obviously they both are still singles players first and foremost, yeah. and they're going to put their emphasis into that. But I'd, I would love to see them become a real doubles duo. Like, yeah, you can't beat it. Yeah, well, yeah. I think so. And I just can't see them getting away with that level of showmanship at no, somewhere it, like Wimbledon. But yeah. Whether yeah. they've got to change or whether Wimbledon's got to change is a really good question because there's no denying that the atmosphere in Melbourne when they were playing was like... Well, the, like the interesting, yeah. Was, well, the interesting, pumping. the interesting thing will be when they play in Grand Slams that in countries that aren't Australia, because here they're the big showman 
heroes, you know, but overseas and especially at Wimbledon, they will definitely be perceived as the villains, you know, the big arrogant, oh, sure. the arrogant kind of, um, you know, disrespecting the sport, not caring about their opponent or, you know, whatever. Um, that's That'll be the perception. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see if this sort of showmanship works elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And whether they, yeah, whether they're going to feed off the fans. I mean, I know home ground advantage in any sport, it plays a big role in, in determining the outcome and having your fans right there. But mm. I feel like this is almost the most extreme version of home ground yeah. advantage with these two playing doubles at the Australian Open compared to anywhere else you know, in the world, really. Yeah, yeah. And final, final thing, I guess, about the Australian Open. The the men's singles um, champion, he's he's gone down in history. It was there was so much weight attached to that final. Uh, you know, Medvedev is this new this new player who just in the last Grand Slam was able to defeat Djokovic, which is pretty unheard of unless you're one of the big three. Um, versus Nadal, who's going to become who was who was attempting to go one ahead of Federer and Djokovic and leave that three way tie that they had. And be the first ever men's player to win twenty one Grand Slams, and yeah, he did it unbelievably. Like what? It was one of the greatest tennis comebacks I've ever seen, and it w- had so much weight to it. It was just a perfectly dramatic way to achieve twenty one Grand Slams, in my opinion. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was an awesome effort. Like, there's no sort of other way to put it, but to see him come back off the canvas, think he was broken in that third set. Yeah, and just over the last few years, he obviously hasn't been playing to his best. Um, he's had a few injuries and whatnot, but I mean, how old is he? Thirty-five, and he's thirty-five. Yeah, going up against yeah. a twenty-five-year-old in Medvedev. Yeah, it really makes you think about when players are peaking. And I know in footy and stuff, it's different when it's a contact sport. But you know, I think athletes are starting to peak later. We're seeing more and more young guns enter the game earlier. Mm. But I think. Yeah, athletes are peaking later, as shown by Nadal. It's it's being shown, I think, in a lot of sports. In soccer, you know, the 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 version of of Federer and Nadal, Djokovic in soccer is Messi and Ronaldo, and you know these two are still hanging around there. You know, Ronaldo's Ronaldo's in his mid thirties now as well, um, and they're just still getting Top of the game. getting Top those of the results. Game. Yeah, it's 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 quite unbelievable. It's hmm. yeah, and. and you, I wonder if it's like just generally players are peaking or like peaking later or if it's just like we happen to be living in a time where there are so many legends that like their range of peak is so long and it's just like... I think what it may be is it's possibly with the advances in like medical sciences and physio and training and all like it's so much more academic and thought through these whole processes that athletes are going through rehab and all that stuff. So coming back from injuries is easier, gives you more longevity in your career. And these current superstars are the ones that have grown up with that advancement in, you know, how they care for their bodies, their nutrition and Mm. all that sort of stuff. So maybe they're the first generation of this sort of um, extended athlete career. Whereas, Certainly, back in you know, throughout the 1900s, um, it wasn't possible for players. You know, you broke your leg, you broke your leg, and you're not yeah. going to come back any ne- anywhere near the same player. But that's it's a different story now. Yeah, we saw it in the NRL as well. Uh, Cameron Smith was playing for ages. Benji Marshall uh, was, you know, he had moments where he looked as good as ever. Paul Gallen mm-hmm. retired very late. It's yeah, it, it, we are in an era where we're seeing players play longer than they ever have before, and it's freaky to think that you know we might end up having players play well into their forties and, and and not be questioned. You know, who knows what's yeah. possible? Um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit funny, and and even you know in the NFL, Tom Brady, not yeah, Tom Brady, uh, he he's he's getting on a bit, but he's still playing quarterback. Yeah, he won the Super think, Bowl last yeah, year. Yeah, last year. Um, yeah, so I think it's it makes it harder for the young players coming through to actually break into that elite level, the top tier of whatever sport they're pursuing because these guys are hanging around and they're not just physically maintaining their peak, but mentally and experience-wise, they're just far superior 
compared to the younger, potentially more talented players coming through. Mm. Um, so, you know, I love building up the status of these superstars, these megastars like Nadal, who's going to hold on to this record for some time, you'd, you'd think. Um, but you just know that there is going to be somebody out there. There's a kid out there right now hitting a ball against the walls. Mm. He's going to be the next Nadal. He's going to be the next Federer, Djokovic, Brady, Messi, Ronaldo, whoever, Cam Smith. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe not, but who knows? They're, no, they're but, out there. Know, just got to yeah, find them. Yeah. And, you know, they will, they, that will happen. You know, like these records that seem unbeatable will be broken. It's, it's exciting. It's, Scary, but it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. That's um, for sure. It does make you think maybe maybe we've still got our peak ahead of us. I think that's yeah. it. Well, you know, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's exactly <laughs> what I'm getting at. So yeah, good, good. <laughs> I think we're ready to get picked up by an NRL team. You know, we're still we're still young. We're in our <laughs> early twenties, sort of. <laughs> early 20s, verging on verging on mid mid twenties at um, this point. Yeah. Let's um let's move it along a bit. Let's do it. Obviously, the other big sport um, over the summer was In fact, the cricket. Just before we do, just before we do, yeah, go on. Um, one thing that started coming in towards the end of last year was we started getting ads on the podcast, but because we it just sort of happened and we didn't really know it was going to start happening, it always the ads came in at a weird time. So I'm going to start making a thing. It's been about it's been about 15 minutes into the podcast, so we'll now go to an ad break. <laughs> Love it. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, we're back. Harvey, what were you saying? We're back from whatever that ad was going, for. I was going to move us on to the cricket, and I'd really like to do this quite quickly, especially around the Ashes. I'm obviously of English descent. Yeah. I'd prefer not to linger on this for too long. I'll say my piece. The Australians were a much better side this summer. Joe Root <laughs> tried to carry the team but couldn't. Ben Stokes, Ben Stokes as well was still had had a bit of a danger man quality about him. He did, but he's he's at like sixty percent fitness. Yeah, he's, like he's, he should not have been there. Like the last test, yeah. he didn't even bowl. He was just there as a batsman. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think there was one stat that came up throughout the series that um, Mitch Stark was a higher ranking all rounder in the ICC cricket rankings than Ben Stokes this year. Yeah, wow. Um, that just sort of yeah speaks volumes really um but i think the aussies were obviously so dominant i think the the home ground we spoke about it a bit in the australian open and kyrgios and kokonakis but again in cricket home ground playing in your home country familiar conditions familiar grounds wickets all that sort of stuff i think it's just so hard to beat anybody in their home ground isn't it it's one of it's one of i think it's there's an issue that cricket has with that aspect because every ground is so unique to, you know, there's no regulate, there's not even a regulated like field size in cricket. Mm. And like the pitch is just whatever the grounds people decide it's going to be like in terms of how, you know, they can try and make it more grassy or more flat and, yeah you know, and it will also be weather dependent. And so obviously teams that have grown up playing in a certain country are more used to, the climate and weather patterns of that country and have played been grown up playing on wickets and pitches that that they're used to and so you know you go international series I, yeah there's just so often i feel like australia win a series at home and then they go overseas and then they get beaten quite badly and then they play here and they look like the best team in the world and then you know, you know I, I actually 
like I don't mind it as a as a element of the game in especially in test cricket I think in the shorter forms it needs to be evened out in some way yeah but in test cricket feeling like any team that comes to your home soil comes to your country you feel like you're the dominant team that needs to win love that and then you get the challenge you know they beat England in Australia now in 18 months time they'll go over to the UK and they'll try put a number up against England and that's the real statement piece. If they can win the series over there, you know, it means so much more than we winning it um, in Australia. Yeah. And yeah. so you sort of have these, the favourites, even though the teams could be the exact same, whoever's the favourite changes. And I think that dynamic is actually quite intriguing because mm. the touring party are always the underdogs then. Just yeah. always. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you wouldn't like, I don't know, would the game be the same if Australia were truly the best team in the world and they won the Ashes in Australia, they're going to Pakistan, I think, um, towards the end of the summer, mm. and they go and they win in Pakistan, then they go to England, they win in England, they win in South Africa, they win in India, and they come back and they win again. And you're like, okay, well, like, yeah. at least this way, I know it's sort of very much fundamental and designed in the game by just the way that it's played on wickets that yeah. are weathered and everything. Um but I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, I guess actually, you know, I mean, also from a crowd perspective as well, like fans enjoy seeing their team do well. And so home fans are going to come out to the game and go, you know, it, watch Australia. And, you know, I don't think fans of, of Test Cricket really care if Australia completely dominate. Because, you know, you get that good day out at the cricket, you have a good time, you get to torment the opposition who are the underdogs and you get to, you know, watch our fast bowlers just, you know, knock over. Yeah, steaming him. You know, make make players like Joe Root look look crap. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, I guess there is there is a fun sort of element to that. And yeah, that uh, that whole underdog thing. And the fact that any team can beat any team as long as they're playing on their own turf sort of Yeah, thing. exactly, right? Yeah. You're never going to have a like an equal venue. There's no... You can't go to Antarctica and get them to build a wicket. Um, that's the... Ground zero, nobody's home favourite. Yeah. Um, but but maybe, maybe that's one for the future. Did you have any highlights from the Ashes? Any players that stood out or um night? Well, I think Travis Head impressed me a lot. He's a player that I've really wanted to see do well at test level for a while. He's been yeah. pretty inconsistent. He has his moments. But I think this se- season series, he looked like a player who knew who knew what his style of test cricket was. You know, I think because Travis Head's a player, much like Dave Warner, who came into the test team after impressing in the Big Bash and in the T20s and stuff. Yeah. So he's got, he knows he's got the big hitting ability. But what I liked about, well, I think what I liked, it's actually what I liked about him this series is that he wasn't trying to be like Travis Head, the test cricketer who plays conservatively. Like he was sort of like, my strength is in scoring fast. And yeah. And he I'm, plays instinctively. Yeah, and he just was just he'd come out and he'd usually score at least at a rate of a runner ball. And he know you know, he knows. He's like he's he's like, all right, I've just gotta I'm better off. I'm gonna do better at staying in if I'm scoring runs. He's kinda like the yeah. best form of defense is offense. Well that's yeah. it. You don't want to change your style at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what about you? Any players that really impressed? I mean, you? it has to be Scott Boland. Like yeah, the way he that's came true. in and was look, oh like how have you had this little gem, you know, plying away at state cricket <laughs> and not being able to get over? I know Hazelwood's incredible. Cummins, Mate, this... amazing. Stark, likewise. But to have this fourth option come in and just yeah. on it, like tear England apart. Like, yeah. I'm sure without Boland, Australia would have still won the Ashes. The yeah. Quicks would have still got it done. Jai Richardson was impressive when he came in. Um, but... Oh, he's class, isn't he? He's yeah. just so classy. He's so class, and um, like that. It, this sort of supports our our theory earlier about players maybe peaking later because he's thirty two, yeah. and for a fast bowler, you know, you'd usually want to make your debut in your twenties, um, because they usually retire a, a bit earlier than other players. Yeah, they put a lot of strain on their body, and yeah, the, but for a player to debut at thirty two. And perform the way he did. It, it it supports the theory. It seems to be the running theme of this yeah. summer of sport. 
also his, I mean, again, this is another theme with all of our great Australian athletes at the moment. He's just so humble and down to earth. Like the, the raptures he was getting from the crowd down up fine leg, whenever he was finishing up a spell was like incredible. It was like, he was a rock star. Yeah. And he just a little nod of the hat, maybe a wave. That was it. He just heads it fully in the cricket and he just loves it so much that, it's just so great to see all that hard work that you know he's put into it pay off and not just to get his chance but to capitalize on it and to be one of the players of the series um, like fair play well done to him well done to Scott Boland absolutely yeah there's calls for him to be made PM Prime Minister (laughs) speaking of also actually one last thing getting your chance and and delivering Usman Khawaja so happy to see him get called back into the team I think he's a player yeah he's a player that I he probably, like, at the time he got dropped, he probably was the player to go once Labashain sort of cemented that number three spot. But I think, you know, having him come in when Head was out and then, then yeah. being moved to opener and coming in and really making the most of it. Like, he didn't know if he was going to get more than one game this series, but to get two centuries in the one match. I think it just freed him up. I think at that level, he's, you know, he clearly didn't think he was going to get another chance. Yeah. And so when the opportunity came round, he just thought, well, this is, you know, this is a gift, really. Like, I'm just going to make the most of it. He loosened up and he just played his best cricket. And, yeah, an awesome story, again, of somebody that just has been plying away. And, yes, he's had his chances before, but to get another one, so richly deserved. Yeah, totally. Totally. And 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 did you catch much of the Big Bash over the summer? I, I, I struggled a bit watching it. I think I, there was a lot going on and I often forgot it was on. It wasn't really till the finals and the fact that the Thunder were involved, my team, the Sydney Thunder, until they were involved um, in those knockout matches that I really took much notice of it. What, yeah, were, what were your were, thoughts? It sort of passed me by a little bit. I think partly because lots of the games were being rescheduled. They were in bubbles and they were mm-hmm. players were dropping out. So it wasn't like you had consistent lineups each week to cheer along. Um, gave lots of young players a chance throughout the year, but you had games that were yeah, swapping over and it just, they just tried to get through the season because there were obviously so many difficulties away from it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think congratulations I think... to the Scorchers, must be said. Yeah. They were the best team throughout the year um, and they, they deserved to win. Yeah. But a question that I do have about this is why Steve Smith wasn't allowed to play. I know uh, there are rules and regulations. I, I agree with him not being able to play. Why? Because, he's one because of the best players. No, he's one of the best players. Can't do that. Why? Why not? Why? Well, like it's you know it's it's you could get so basically he's basically, on the sideline. He's not doing enough. Doesn't have a contract with the club. Does not have a but contract. They with would the offer club. him one. They had to get their assistant coach to play. <laughs> their assistant coach is wicket keeping for them in the semis and the final. <laughs> And you can let Steve Smith play. The assistant didn't have a contract to play with them. I stand by it. I don't think. I don't think any other team. I don't think it would even be considered for any other team apart from the Sydney Sixers. I just think they. That's because he's. That's the club he plays for in seasons gone by. But and the only reason he didn't sign a contract this year was because he, the international cricket was supposed to be on. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think you know, other players who who also wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten to play. They had contracts with the team. Oh, they had conditions. They literally couldn't field eleven players. Their coach was playing. I would. No, they, I'd, they I would rather. I'd rather them get their coach to play because if you can't field eleven players, you shouldn't be bringing in the best player. It should be someone who's like you know either. Adel- I mean, okay, if it's what if it's Travis Head in the same situation? So Smith does have a contract. No. Travis Head's the odd one out who no. doesn't have a contract. Doesn't have a contract. Still contract. Let him play? No, I wouldn't. But he well, did play for the Strikers because he had a contract with them at the start of the year. Yeah, but that's because he didn't think he'd be picked for all the test matches and the New Zealand ODIs. Or he was a big chance. He was a big chance of definitely playing all of those things. He was well, a big chance of playing all those things. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> we'll agree. I would have liked to see Steve Smith playing Big Bash. Just, just because why not? I don't care if he's the best player. He hasn't got a contract. He's one of the best cricketers in our Premier you know, short ball cricket competition and you're just not letting him play. No. Like, 
let, let's move on a little bit um, to to yeah. the Women's Ashes series, which is currently ongoing. Currently ongoing. Uh, they've had uh, three T20s, uh, which one was won by the Australians and then the others were rained off, unfortunately. Their, their test match, which the Aussies won. No, Drew. It was a draw, wasn't it? It went down right to the wire. Yeah, yeah, right um, to the wire. They needed one more wicket to go in their, their four-day test, and they've got some ODIs coming up. Mm. I mean, it's been great to watch. I've been watching um, quite a lot of it. But we also, I mean, I'm sure part of the reason why you've been watching quite a lot of it has to do with something that we haven't really addressed so far, which is the reason why we are on a Zoom call right now, even though we're not in a lockdown. Oh, yeah. Um, you have covid I do. Yeah. I've, I've finally been struck down by the yeah. bug. Yeah. Um, but you sound <laughs> great. You sound great. You haven't, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. Throat's cleared up a little bit. Feeling strong. Um, so, yeah, I have had lots of time for watching. Thankfully, the tennis has been on. I've had the cricket too. Uh, it's been a real treat of a, of a time to be isolating. Uh, but what are your thoughts on having mixed format series in mm. cricket? Because I love this system that they've yeah. got going in, in the women's ashes. So they're getting two points for winning the T20, four points for winning the Test, and two for the ODI victories as well. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really like you know that's you know it's all it's all cricket. You know what I mean? And all of them I think are just as much cricket as the other. And so yeah, it just sort of. It, what does it do? It kind of takes away this debate of like, oh, what's the best format of cricket? I prefer test. Right. I prefer T20s. It's kind of like, it just makes it, oh, they're playing every kind of cricket because it's the Ashes. And, and, yeah. and it's a, if you had to, if you knew your tour was involving short format and long format of the game and you could only take a select number of players, 15, 20 players, whatever it is, then you've got to have players who are capable of performing in, in both areas because they are becoming more specialized as yeah. you know, short form crickets becoming more and more popular. Um, and that's where the money is. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's attracting a lot more players to specialize their game around that. But if you have these international series that incorporate all formats of the game, then you have to be a well-rounded cricketer and you have yeah. to be able to change it up. Yeah, and because they're picking a squad for the series and it's like, mm. okay, if you're in the squad, then you need to be ready to be called up for the test side, for the one-day side, for the T20. And it, yeah, I like that a lot. I, I really, I mean, I'm a big fan of even in, you know, even in the men's game and, and even though there aren't series that, that cross formats, I'm a big fan of when players play all three formats or at least... Yeah at least tests and one day is, you know what I mean? Like I, I like players that have that versatility so that we're not seeing two completely different sides no. for the different formats because it it shouldn't be that different, you know? It is all cricket, you know? It's kind That's of... That's it, right? You want, if you're one of the best cricketers in Australia or in your country, you want to be picked for every match that the Australian team plays. Yeah. And if you're not getting picked because, yes, you're the best cricketer at test matches and you've got better patience and maybe better technique, but you're not a power hitter. I think you can be both, can't you? And there are mm. players who could do both. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love it. I think, yeah, the women's series is taking a really strong lead here and I think the men should follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know how many people, how many purists would agree with, you know, the men's ashes taking this approach, but yeah, you've got at least two votes in favor here. So there we <laughs> go. Um, you know, <laughs> using our platform to make change in the world. What, what, what would you think if the, maybe this is different, but the rugby league season included both nines games and 13 aside full games. That, uh, that is and a, maybe a touch game. That is an interesting concept, a touch game. <laughs> yeah. And there's, Throwing it out and there. there's like different point levels for each kind of game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I reckon wow. there should be, Concurrently, if there's the full side going, you know, playing 13 man rugby league each week, at the same time, you've got a squad of under 21s playing nines in the warm up, and you've got anybody ruled out by concussions throughout the season goes into their touch footy side and they play each week as well. That's my little brainstorm. So, your team how rugby is, league can adapt. So, like, your team is playing three games a week that all count towards points in. The top league. Yeah, they could be three different leagues, but why not have all formats of the sport being played at the same time? 
Yeah. Cool. I like it. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all just, for it. Yeah. Just wow. throwing it out there. Wow. Um, if anyone's listening, wow. If any- <laughs> I hope anybody, anybody. <laughs> I hope somebody's listening. I hope somebody's made it this far. Um, <laughs> um, um, all right. Well, sweet. I think I think between the two of us, like, I think te- like of sports that aren't rugby league, I think that tennis and cricket are probably the two that has the most crossover between the two of us that we both yeah. watch quite closely. Let's move on to a sport that you are very into that I am not. It is the world game, if uh, football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. Um, Harvey, call it Harvey, football. why don't you tell Surely me a bit? Of, why don't you tell me a bit about what's been going on in, in the summer of of football, soccer? Well, again, on the international stage, um, we'll start with the women this time. They were playing in the Asian Cup, and they are such a strong side. They are mm. surely a national side or international side for the women's team, led by Sam Kerr and a host of others, should be dominating the continental competition, should be challenging for the World Cup. Um, and unfortunately, they were knocked out by, by South Korea in the quarterfinals, which was disappointing. Mm. But I'm hoping it provides a shake-up that's needed and a wake-up call because next year, Australia and New Zealand are hosting the Women's World Cup. And that's yeah. just such a huge event, I think, yeah. for the country. Like, it's going to be such a festival. We're going to see some of the greatest sports stars, like, on our doorstep playing some amazing football. I really, really hope Aussies can go all the way. And yeah. there's no doubt that they've got the talent. They just need to sort out their system. Maybe they need a change in coach. Well, I'm not sure. But, yeah, it was a bit of a disappointing result. But hopefully there's a silver lining to it with the um, World Cup next year. Mm. Yeah, wow. It's crazy to think that that is next year. I haven't even sort of clocked that yet. Seeing yeah, as it's only... Shout out's got to go to Sam Kerr, who passed Tim Cahill's goal scoring record for Australia. Yes, Australian. yes. So he's and... our leading um, yeah, goal scorer in yeah, international. That football. is not to be, yeah, that is so like not to be sneezed at. Like, you know, you hear, you see some, you know, trolls on Facebook comments and stuff mm. and people who want to discredit that achievement and say, oh, she's up against easier opponents because she's playing women. But but that's, you know, she's playing she's playing in in the you know, she's playing in the competitions and the leagues that that are her leagues, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. and yeah. Australia is one of the greatest, you know, is one of the best teams in women's soccer. Um yeah, she's an exceptional talent that is yeah. like it's hard to put words into it if you're not watching her play each week. Yeah. But again, the sides that she's coming up against are not weak players. No. Like the, well, the women's game in football is incredibly strong. It's come on leaps and bounds in the last few years, especially. Mm. Um, and it's, it's going from strength to strength. She's not just uh, sort of a freak that's overriding or overpowering her opponents. She's coming up against some of the best defenses in the world. Yeah. And is proving to be a class above. So. Yeah, all credit goes to her. She's she's been incredible. Yeah, totally, uh, absolutely. Um, I think actually also, you know, I think Australia has almost taken the women's game a bit for granted a little bit because you know, and I th- hopefully this will this sort of quarterfinal loss will be a bit of a wake up call ahead of the World Cup to sort of you know put more, I guess, effort into maintaining that sort of high position that we currently have. Because um, other other countries, as they develop their women's game, are going to come up, and they're gonna it's gonna become yeah, gonna it's gonna up, become a more sure. and more competitive um, uh, thing, and it'll become as competitive as the men's uh, is eventually, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I think that like you know Australian women's soccer sort of just has always because I think as a country we've been a bit more progressive than maybe other countries with our mm-hmm. women's sport um they've always been kind of up there and so you know it's been taken a bit for granted it's been like oh yeah cool but now now it's like you know it's sort of we're seeing the results and i've you know been at a few matilda's games where you know you, you see bigger crowds and bigger atmosphere there than you do at a socceroos mm-hmm. game um sure. because yeah. you know crowds are coming out to support a team that is a truly excellent team, you know? Yeah, they're, they're really dominant when, when they're on form. Um, and it's really exciting. I mean, we've had these sort of pathways 
um, for young footballers and uh, young female footballers coming through, and other te- other countries are certainly developing those as as we speak. Yeah. And so, who knows uh, what level the game's going to be at in a few years down the line? Um, obviously, the men's Socceroos are ticking along in their World Cup qualifiers. It looks like they're going to miss out on an automatic qualification spot and go to a playoff match. I think mm. they'll come up against somebody from South America who likewise just missed out on automatic qualification. So that's something to look out for throughout the year. But again, the A-League's going on. We've got solid domestic competition. There have been some decent signings coming in. No no Del Pieros, it must be said. Mm. Um, but the big thing I've noticed is that the expansion teams, mm. particularly Western United and MacArthur, are doing really, really well. Um, since their introduction to, to the comp. And I, I don't know whether it is, I think, with expansion teams in general across sport, and obviously we've got the Dolphins coming into the footy next year. Um, what what do you think uh, expansion teams' expectations are in their first season? Or, well, yeah, what do you think? Because I think to be performing at the top of the table or near it is a really, really hard thing to do in your first year. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, you know, honestly, I feel like if I was, if I was starting a new expansion club and I was in charge of like that, that club and bringing it into a top level league of sport, like, you know, avoiding the wooden spoon would probably be the goal for the first year. You obviously, right. obviously you want to do well, but you want your club to be in a financially stable position to, for the future honestly i think like on-field results are not like the highest thing in mind no you don't want to embarrass yourself you want to be competitive in the league but you know you kind of want to yeah, avoid that wooden spoon i think so i think avoid embarrassment and and build because everything's new the coaching staff's new background team is new obviously the players regardless of what sport we can we can focus this more on the dolphins i think mm. um because they're obviously in the process of recruitment and it's still a bit tricky to see what their first team would look like. They've picked up a few experienced players, which is probably a smart bet, but they're, yeah. they're obviously towards the end of their careers. I mean, we've been talking about when do players' careers end, when do they peak? Um, maybe yeah. maybe some of the players they're picking up have got their best footy ahead of them. But I, I think for the Dolphins, maybe it's a different story with Bennett at the helm. You wouldn't have an expansion team with such a accomplished coach in many other situations yeah yeah it's interesting they've 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 so far pretty much exclusively picked up props in their 30s so they'll they'll have some leadership got, in that front yeah row. so they've got jay brom jesse bromwich yep. and they're looking at getting kenny as well they've got the goat mark nichols so yep. you, that would be their front row you'd assume felice kafusi yeah is going up there um so the storm will probably have both second rowers if kenny bromwich follows his brother up there yeah. Um, they've got Ray Stone, Estarco as well, and Tevare, I think. Oh, yes, the, yes, okay. The young gun. Yeah. Um, but what would the Storm look like? I know we're going on a bit of a tangent now, but the Storm without the Bromwich boys and Kafusi, I, I know they're a bit of a... Um, I think, I think, I think... Uh, look, if I'm the Storm, I'm not too distraught about mm-hmm. losing Kafusi at, at this point. I think, you know... Yeah, I, I, I just he he doesn't look the player that he once was to me. Uh, um, I think I think we saw that in Origin as well. Yeah, that's that was at that level a little, a little bit. That's where I noticed it mainly. Um, but losing Bromwich is an interesting one because Finucane's gone to the Sharks. They were the co-captains last year. Yep. Um, so you lose a lot of experience with Bromwich, and if you lose Kenny Bromwich, I almost think from a player perspective, Kenny Bromwich is a bigger loss than Jesse. From a leadership perspective, Jesse's bigger, but Kenny provides so much energy in that forward pack and he's an absolute yeah. scrapper and he's the sort of player that you'd hate to play against because he's never going to let you take a moment to breathe. Um, no. Oh, yeah, well put. Yeah. He, he fits that mould exactly. And yeah. Yeah, he's the type of player you hate coming up against and you love having on your team. Mm. Um, I'm sure I'm sure the Storm will survive. You know, they've been through <laughs> some much better players leaving their club in recent yeah. years and they've, they've managed to come out the other side um, that's it. Strong. That's it. So, I think. I think Storm's biggest loss in future will be Craig Bellamy. You know, we've hmm. we've thought about you know each member of the big three left one by one, and we always thought they were going to 
fall apart with each one. But Bellamy was always there. And I think we're seeing now that he has the ability to replace anyone. Like anyone. So So until he's gone, I am always going to back Storm to definitely at least make the top eight, probably top four as well. Um, That's such a credit to him. He has proven his work time and time again. Mm. I I, I even think you could just see down the line, he moves, takes a step back into like a director position or like managing the manager, managing the coach, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think think he'll be in and amongst the club. Yeah, but you could time. see like Cam Smith taking over, yeah, straight away, true. and just being tutored by Bellamy in the ways of building a dynasty. And if there's a willing learner in the game, it's Cam Smith. You, you've seen it; he's a student of it, and he's learnt from the best. And I'm sure he's got a lot more to learn from the coaching side of things yeah. if that's what he wants to do. But they could be, you know, you could just have generations of Bellamy Smith. Maybe Grant's the next one. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Gosh, they've got a good system there. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah, God damn it. Um, just to, just as we sort of, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about and it's not necessarily a sport that I'm super into, mm-hmm. but um, the Super Bowl in the NFL, oh, yeah. it's coming up um, next week and it is the LA Rams versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Nice to see two teams that, we haven't really seen there for a while in the in the, the grand final Super Bowl. Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> the the Cincinnati Bengals are actually the team that I say that I support. I have I have really? yeah I've said that I've supported them for years. I don't really watch their matches, but because Bengals are a oh, tiger, yeah. that's why. Oh, is it okay? Yeah. So okay. I was just like, keep it simple. They wear orange and black. I was like, yeah. Same reason you support Richmond. Same reason I support Richmond. Uh, just tiger, tiger, and you know when Hull City go up to Premier League, <laughs> yeah. I get behind them as well. So, um, but, um, but so I, I'm very excited to see them because they've been a bit, you know, the last, yeah, I the was last reading many years, they were, they've been crap. They've, they've been, been crap. they've been a bit West Tigersy, and to see, <laughs> to see them in one season make the Super Bowl, it gives hope to a guy who supports a team like mine. But this is what I'm getting at, Harvey. This is what I'm getting at. The Bengals. Yeah. Uh, a form of, ti- form of Tiger, as I said. This year, in the Chinese astrology zodiac, it's the year yeah. of the tiger. That's right. Um, and I'm and I think the Bengals are going to win for this very reason. And yeah. it, and I think Richmond maybe going to have a good year. I think West Tigers maybe gonna, maybe gonna, may, maybe going to make the top eight. That's our, <laughs> that's that's our version of making the Super Bowl. I think um, so. But this is the reason. We've already seen some proof that there's some magic in the air when it comes to the Tigers this year. You ready? Yeah. You ready for this? The Wiggles won the Triple J Hottest 100. Anthony, from them, happens to be a massive Tigers fan. So there Good. you go. Tigers won Hottest 100. Okay. Agreed. Uh, Ash Barty won the Australian Open. She is a massive Richmond Tigers fan. Tigers. Boom. So we've got, so we got Tigers winning the Hottest 100. We've got Tigers winning the uh, the Australian Open. Now we, now we have a chance for Tigers to win the Super Bowl. Mm. And so and so if we if we get that if, Beng- if Bengals win. <laughs> You're on a roll. It's then it, it then it, it's fate. It's fate. If I if so. I'll be very sad if if the Bengals lose because that means that the whole theory's done and Tigers probably going to come about 13th again. So um you could you could have two wins, Hottest 100, Ash Barty's Richmond fan. Yeah. Then a loss. Yep. And then you could have Richmond actually win the AFL. Yes. And the Tigers Top eight, top, top eight. four, yeah. win wherever you want to set your benchmark of yeah. winning the grand final equivalent. Yeah, um, you know maybe it's two wins, a loss, two wins, a loss. Yeah, that probably doesn't spell very good things for Ash Barty next year at the no. Australian <laughs> Open. We got to have something else happen in between that. Yeah. Some other Tiger thing um, happen in between. Maybe, maybe it's um... maybe Hull City get relegated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I think that I think that covers. Every, did, was there any other thing that strike struck you over the summer that you wanted to mention before we wrap well, up? I mean, there's a lot of things footy that we can chat, but we'll save that for a future date. We will. Um, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Is- just just as a little teaser, we will do an episode sort of breaking down all the exciting things that are coming in season two. But you know, we 
some of those things that we I think we can sort of touch on. There will be a Patreon this year. So extra content, more and more content. There's more and more opportunities for fan engagement. We are looking to really compete against you guys, whether it's predictions, whether it's fantasy and stuff. And there's, you know, there's going to be there's a lot of exciting things we got planned for this year. We really want to engage with you, um, the listeners. That's it. We want to get your voice heard more and more. Yeah. You guys have done so well and we're so happy that you've listened along to us around right. last year. But we want to hear what you guys have to say. So yeah. keep your eyes out for us looking to get you on or looking for your opinions, That's looking right. for your thoughts, your our, predictions. Yeah. Our, all best, that sort of stuff. our best episodes last year were the ones where we had fans on as guests. Like we love having guests, but I think what we're what we're finding is that you know, sure, you can go out and you can get a massive player on and, you know, but they're doing, you know, they're doing media anyway. They're on TV. They're talking about stuff. Hearing from the fans is just so awesome and it really is who we are. So we connect so much to hearing about the experiences and the reasons why people support the teams that they do. So look out for all of that juicy stuff. We'll be posting a bunch of stuff on our Instagram and mentioning stuff in podcasts. Very That's exciting. It. Yeah. Cannot wait for the season to kick off. We are getting back into the full swing of things. It's going to be a big year. Hopefully the Seagulls will win. That's my bold prediction. <laughs> Tommy stays fit. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm getting it out of there. Yeah, well, you've heard my bold prediction. The, the year of the Tiger is going to <laughs> do its magic over across all sports and Tigers in West West Tigers going to, going to make the top eight because of that. So there you go. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have but... to wait and see. Been a pleasure, Lachlan. Been a pleasure, Harvey. We're back in the swing of it now. Here we go. <laughs> How good. I guess until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.